Coming up next, Brandon wants to say, catch her in the Y. Jake wants to say, catch her in the die. But I want to say, catch her in the rye. I kind of liked it. Welcome to the novel. That's actually what my brain said. My brain said, welcome to the novel. Because I'm an idiot and it's late and nobody really wants to be here right now. True. Nope. Do not want to be doing this show for you right now. Nope. And yet, we're professionals. Sure. We're like the post office. Come rain, come shine, come snow. Neither rain nor shine nor sleet. No, what is the post office thing? I think Jake might be looking up the post office motto. Good. In the meantime, I'll introduce our cast of characters. My name is Nathan Alberson. I'm your humble and obedient host. And folks, this is going to be a good episode. You don't have to worry because we are professionals. It doesn't matter how we feel, right? Some people just wait until they're inspired. <clears throat> we we're, we wait until we, we, we are ready to perspire. I wait until I'm told to go and then I do it. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's what men do. That's right. We're not a bunch of women. No, we're men we're talking about books. We're not transitioners. No. We, we're just men. We don't transition to nothing. Jake, you got it? Neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night stays these carriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. Pointed rounds. Snow, right. rain, heat, or glo- gloom of night are the four factors that can interfere. Yep. Hail. And guys, have we, ever, have we ever been stopped by snow to do a booking? Earthquakes. By rain? Oh, those things could all Forest kill a fires. post office worker. Forest fires, natural disasters, terrorist attack. Listen, let's talk about Catcher in the Rye. But it first, is raining outside and we are talking. Yeah, the rain didn't stop us. A little rain doesn't hurt us. We're not so sweet that we melt. We're men. All right, guys, what are we talking about? I don't even remember. What's this episode about? I don't want to talk about this book, Nathan. Oh, now I remember. Catcher in the Rye. Catcher in the Rye. I want to be, my biggest fantasy is I'm going to be somebody who stands at the edges of a big field with a lot of rye. And oh, Brandon. I'm going to catch little kids as they go running towards the All right, Brandon. edge. Brandon. And, yeah. Brandon. What? Are you telling me you never had a messiah complex when you were that age? Oh, all the time. Did I have a messiah complex when I was that age? Doesn't yeah. every young boy have a messiah complex one way or another when he when he, when he, when he hit the I was puberty? definitely, I, I don't know if you I remember. You never fantasized about saving people or being the yes, hero or yes, any of that yes, crap? Yes, yes, Okay, yes, yes. Any yes. of that phony, corny crap? Yes, Nathan. But the question is, is does the novel see that as, the, as phony? Or is that like one of the most true and honest moments of the book? Boy, I don't know what's the answer. All right, we're talking about Catcher in the Rye. Have we even done baggage? We should do baggage. Brandon, what baggage did you bring to Catcher in the Rye? Oh, I read it once. <laughs> didn't like it then. <laughs> read it again. Didn't like it then. I have read some of his short stories, and I like to try and be fair and even-handed to each of the authors we come to, and so I did read Franny and Zoe over the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. I liked Franny, and I could not finish Zoe. Uh, my ex-girlfriend, current fiance. Loves Franny and Zoe. I've never read it. Oh, sorry, Meredith. I've I've got a copy of it. I've just never read it. Um, I got a copy of it in order to impress my really ex girlfriend. But maybe now I would she like... agreed to marry me, so I'm never going to read it because yeah. Franny I don't have was to anymore. Franny was fine. It's a good day for what's, banana what's fish. This song. What's the song that repeats the line "Stay these carriers"? Stay these carriers. Brandon's looking it up. Mm-hmm. 
stay these carriers? I gotta figure this out. All I'm getting is the United States Postal Code. Yeah, it's hard to find. <laughs> oh, Superman? Yeah, I don't know that song. Bartleby.com, 1439. 1439. Herodotus. Blind to what is right by the carriers? It is said that as many days as there are in the whole journey, so many are the men and horses that stand along the road, each horse and man, at the interval of a day's journey, and these are stayed neither by snow nor rain nor heat nor darkness, from accomplishing their appointed course with all speed. What? Who that? Herodotus? So the U.S. Postal Service's motto is a paraphrase of Herodotus. I like Herodotus. You ever read Herodotus? Yeah, his histories. He's interesting. Yeah, he's he's fascinating. I recommend people read his section on Egypt. It's just fun to read a like a primary ish source on Egypt. Yeah, it's Ancient better Egypt. than the Greek philosophers. Yeah, kicking those poets out of the city. Mm-hmm. Plato, who do you think you are? I, I guarantee you, the once you kick all the poets out of the city, they're going to go found another city, and that's going to be the fun city to live in. Yeah, but you could attack the crap out of that city and take it pretty easily. I think. Ah, yeah, well. <laughs> hey, you'd have Homer. I bet he could kill people. He's blind. Uh, and maybe a woman, and maybe more than one person. You don't know. Well, hey, if he's more than one person, then we're winning. Or maybe he's a woman. Ooh. Then we're really winning. <laughs> this is going real well, Nathan. <laughs> this, is going, this is going fascinating. All right. We got to keep this, get this train back on the tracks. Jake, what's your baggage regarding Catcher in the Rye? I never read it, never wanted to read it. It was one of those books that some books you choose not to read. Sorry, I'm just taking my shoes off here because mm. I don't know why. It's going to get comfortable. <laughs> Hope it doesn't stink. I can't smell the Those thing. are some nice socks. Jake is wearing. Jake yeah. has a proclivity and a fondness, I think, that, that goes unheralded sometimes, especially in the podcast world, uh, for, for fun socks. Thanks. Jake's a man. I don't know that I've ever talked to him about this, but I admire his taste in socks. I'm appreciative. I like people that wear interesting socks. I think it's a good thing to do. My ex-girlfriend, current fiance wears nice socks. I like that about her. I myself have gone through periods where I've worn nice socks or interesting socks. I'd no longer do it. I sort of regret it. Yeah. I'm in the same category, Nathan. I do appreciate nice socks. I occasionally will have nice socks, but then I somehow end up losing the nice socks. Yeah, it happens. But it's like having two little surprises on your feet because, you know, it's like you're hiding them away and if your pant leg should happen to ride up or something, or you take off your shoes. You're like, oh, look how fancy like, I am. Like, like it's, it's, it's a little bit like how... Like, oh, there's some character and some interest. Well, yeah. it's, it's, it reminds me, and Jake is by no means divine, but it reminds me of how you see the documentaries about the little creatures that are in the bottom of caves or at the bottom of the ocean that we, we never even knew existed until like last year when someone finally burrowed deep enough to discover them. And it's like, God just made these little things to enjoy to, for himself to enjoy for, for himself. thousands of years. So we are, I think, and I'm not even joking here, reflecting our creator when we do something like put socks on, like nobody's going to see these probably, but it's just nice and fun to know that I have some fun, eccentric, cool, interesting socks. So maybe... Jake has a little bit more touch of the divine than, than we thought. I think that's very true, Nathan. So, Jake, you never wanted to read Catcher in the Rye. You have books that you don't read when they're assigned because you don't want them to be ruined by the experience of reading them for school. Mm -hmm. Like when you're dumb, young and dumb, like Holden Caulfield, you do things like that. Right. Well, your teacher's probably a phony. Well, yeah. So don't let the phonies. Anyhow... This was one of those books that I did not do that to, and I also did not read it anyway, and I also knew I never wanted to read for some intuitive reason. I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to untangle me. this. So it was assigned. 
You yeah. did not read it, but yeah. you didn't read it because you but you didn't not read it because you wanted to save it. You just right. simply didn't care about it. Yeah, I, I a little bit more than that. There was like I had a certain intuitive antipathy I'm sensing some to an, antipathy towards this, but you you actually went into so this is interesting. This doesn't often come up in baggage, but you had it in for this book a little bit. Maybe yeah. thought that you wouldn't like it or yeah, yeah, thought it symbolized or represented something bad maybe. Yeah, it's one of those books that I I had intended to not ever read. Short of doing sense. a literary podcast where you're forced to yeah, expand the I, breadth of your- I mean, it's your... not like I, I was disappointed or I resent re, re, was resentful of it making the list. It was just like, this is one of those books that I would have never, ever- read short of doing this literary podcast with you guys because why would I ever do that? It's a good can't, question. Can't quite explain it. Just, well, just a certain sense or innate something or other that just made me, this book sorry. is bad news. Or I, this maybe not even this book is bad news. Maybe as much, screw you, all you people who think this book is profound or whatever, I don't know. Maybe it's as much, with knowing me, knowing me the way that I do, mm-hmm. it probably had as much to do with the kind of person that was attracted to it as anything. Yeah, I suspect that's true. And so yes. it, it probably more just had to do with, and I couldn't tell you because I don't remember. All that's left is the impression that I don't want to ever read this book, but probably, almost certainly, there were just uh, there's just a certain class of person that was attracted to it you know, this is one of those books that's got its fanboys and it's got its people that think it's profound or whatever. Oh, yeah. And those are the kind of people that I generally just want to ignore, not pay any attention to, maybe on a dark day, just inexplicably want to punch in the face. Dark days. Is it so inexplicable, though? That's that's the question perhaps we'll answer in this very podcast. Rainy days, snowy days. Gloom <laughs> of nighty days. Um... Interesting. Okay, so Jake came into this. Jake was already weighted against this novel. Just a, yeah, just a little bit thing. Yeah, but I was ready for it to be fun. It was sort of like being weighted against uh, Fahrenheit four fifty one in my mind. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think what uh, what novels we've read that I've just actually been weighted against. This is like a question we should probably ask every time, and yet we never do. I want to say the one that comes to mind actually for me, my Antonia. I just thought it was going to be boring and bucolic and stupid and full of country living. And what about Agatha Christie? When one has an appropriate reaction towards something, when 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 one accurately assesses something, is it to be weighted against it? When one's just like, ah, this Hitler guy seems kind of bad. Is that <laughs> is that is that is that to be weighted against Hitler, or is that just to judge Hitler accurately? <laughs> ah, fair point, Nick. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, I, I played the, the Hitler card. Yeah, I got the Christie the Hitler. I played the Hitler card earlier today in a sound of sanity, but I was playing the devil's advocate, so what can you do? What can you do? <laughs> I have read Catcher in the Rye, my baggage. I've read it at least twice before this, maybe three times. Don't remember why. Don't remember who introduced it to me. Probably would have been in early high school. I really liked it the first time I read it. I remember going to Florida with my family, which we always went on these Florida trips and they were awful. And we went and saw my grandma, who was, you know, sweet old lady, but not fun. We didn't really do anything fun in Florida. We just visited her and she would smoke her cigarettes. And she had a Rubik's Cube. That was really the only interesting thing to do in her apartment. I don't even know if she had TV. If she did, it would be, it would have been turned to something boring like the weather or old people game shows. But so we went on these family trips 
and I was a teenager, or I want to say a, a tweenager, maybe uh, old enough to realize that I wasn't enjoying this family trip. You know, like just the idea of getting in a car and going somewhere wasn't exciting to me by this time. And I remember going on this trip, and I want to say I could be remembering this wrongly. I want to say I read All Quiet on the Western Front during this trip, Catcher in the Rye. And the thing I remember about Catcher in the Rye is I remember enjoying it. I remember relating to it. I remember also being above it in the sense that I did not think of myself as Holden. Holden. I did not assume Holden was my hero. I thought he was flawed and tragic when I read the book as a kid. So I didn't, for what it's worth, whether I was right or wrong, I don't know, but I didn't take it to be Holden's me. I, I recognized things about Holden that were similar to myself, and that was part of the fun, part of the interest. But I also thought the book ends with him kind of just in a crazy, stupid, bad place. And it was sad. He was a, I think I probably would have said he's like a tragic anti-hero. I don't know if I would have used those words. I don't know if I'd use those words now uh, if I couldn't come up with better ones, but I think that's how I thought of him. And I remember distinctly that my parents both had reactions to the novel. I couldn't tell you what those reactions were exactly, but I just remember it was on their radar in a way that other books I got from the library, which is probably where I would have gotten it, wouldn't necessarily be. It was a book that they both arched their eyebrows at or said, oh, Catcher in the Rye, or who should you be? I think it might have had the mystique of being them slightly disapproving, but not so much that they wanted to take it away from me. They just, what I, I don't, I couldn't tell you what their reaction was. I just know they didn't always have a reaction to everything. Some books they wouldn't know, you know, All Quiet on the Western Front, they probably didn't care one way or another. Catcher in the Rye, they walked through the room, they saw it on the end table, they picked it up, they arched their eyebrows, they reacted to it. So it had that potency. It had that iconography to it. I knew it was something with power. Potentially yeah. illicit. Something potentially illicit, or but at the very least, just... Some, something certainly not benign. Not benign, yeah. This thing does something, and everyone... And to this day, my mom, I live in an apartment with my mom while I'm waiting to marry my ex-girlfriend, current fiancé, and... Sh- yep. Go back and say it again. Did I say... What you need to say is that your mom lives with you. Yes, this is true. My mom lives in an apartment with me. It's your apartment that you pay for and you support her and she lives with you. And people need to... If you're going to say that, people need to hear it the right way. Yes, thank you. Point is, mom asks me what podcast we're doing. I say, Catcher in the Rye. She says, oh, Catcher in the Rye. And she has a reaction. Again, it's not neutral. It's She has a reaction to it. And what she said this time, this was today, I think, she said something like, well... That boy sure wanders around the city, and he has a lot of money, doesn't he? Or something like that. That was my mom's reaction to the (laughs) novel. And a more accurate (laughs) summation of (laughs) Catcher in the Rye, I don't know you could come up with. He wanders around the city. There has been. (laughs) He has a lot of money. Uh, (laughs) Yes, and thus the wonder of the great American novel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Brandon. Brandon has his feet, like, splayed out on the table, and he just, you couldn't see a more grumpy sight. (laughs) <laughs> then oh, people grumpy. like grumpy ba- brandon here i am we're about to get some grumpy brandon oh yeah uh well maybe i don't know why you make me read things like this nathan um i'm, I'm sorry to i don't know why why did your parents make you eat your vegetables i mean sometimes you got to do things for those at least are good for me those are nutritious no, that's kind of my point i mean this novel is the great one of the great american novels well guys let's talk about <laughs> it let's talk about the great american novel let's talk about the best novel we've read on the bookening Oh, Pride and Prejudice. Oh, yes. What'd you the guys great think American of, novel. <laughs> the Great American Novel. Pride Anna and Prejudice. Karenina. What's the best American novel we've read on the bookening? There's Huck a, Finn. Uh, or East of Eden. I mean, Huck Finn is 
arguably better than East of Eden, but I sure do like East of Eden better. Yeah, I like East of Eden better too. I, think, but... I mean, Jake's right though. It is Huck Finn, despite that ending. That ending really detracts. The ending does detract from it, but Hemingway, I think, is right. You take away that final chapter, and it is the great American novel. Yeah, it is. No question. We need to do some more podcasts on that someday. Yeah, we need to come back to it. We'll come we back did, to we it. We sold it. We sold it short. That'll be yeah. fun. Is our is our fifth year going to be us revisiting our first year? Not entirely. We got to wait until at least year seven, I think, to get back to Pride and Prejudice because we've got to exhaust all other Austin. That's right. But yeah, I'd love to come back and do some of that stuff. I think like there's things that we would talk about now because we have a more comfortable relationship with each other and with our audience about Huck Finn that we just didn't talk about. We just, I think we talked or, about them off mic. I think we may have talked about them and decided to cut a whole bunch of it. Yeah, there was some of that. But I think you agree, right? Like yeah, we'd, we'd be more free now. Absolutely. So anyway, that's an enticement for whatever year we get back to Huck Finn. It will happen, folks. The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Great novel. Catcher in the Rye, guys. What'd you think? Hmm. How to put my thoughts into words. <laughs> I don't want to just always be soured by somebody's biography, but realizing he was just some madman who got into who was tricked by L. Ron Hubbard <laughs> really didn't help him in my book. That's not a good thing. Um, and so I would kept thinking, why do I care what this guy has to say or think? And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. He has a few poetic scenes that actually were fairly moving and showed that he had an artist's insight into the world. Like the scene, I, I do think it was a moving scene where he remembers sitting on the porch playing checkers with that girl. Playing checkers with Sally, yeah. And then her stepfather comes out and asks where his cigarettes are. And she starts to cry and he doesn't mm-hmm. know why, but he tries to comfort her. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's a powerful scene because it's a, it's, it's one of those tip of the iceberg scenes where you're tells, seeing. Tells you a whole story without telling you exactly. hardly anything. Like, uh, yeah, like hills, like white elephants, whatever that is. Yeah. A lot is going on there and you can read a lot into it. You don't quite know what, but that's part of the chill of it, the mystery of it. And, and, the, the, and the beauty of it. of it. Yeah. So he can do that. But in the end, in the end, I just did not find this story worth having in my mind. <laughs> Or in my heart. <laughs> All right, well, we'll or start in that my life. That, that's Brandon's thesis statement, Jake. It's a, I don't know. I think it's a fine little portrait of a certain type of young man. And it doesn't really have much to say beyond it being that. And you look at it and you say, yes, I recognize that this young man is a young man that I know. And I see certain aspects of myself in him back in the day and others not so much. But I guess it's a, a nice little snapshot. And I think that's taking the novel in the best possible light, mm-hmm. which is not trying to say something, but simply giving a nice little snapshot of the hypocritical, judgmental young man trying to find his feet. Well, I haven't frankly had time to give this a lot of thought, but I loved it. You loved it? Yeah. What I, did you love about it, Nathan? Well, I love Holden Caulfield. I just do. I really like the guy. I mean, he's pathetic. He's so sad. And my heart goes out to him. And maybe that's just because I was more of a Holden Caulfield. I mean, let's be honest. But I really thought this novel did a fantastic job, a precise... Like, Brandon made fun of it on one of our previous episodes for... He's, Brandon said, mm, read, a, read, a, read a little excerpt and then said, mm, every word in its place or something like that. But to me, every word was in its place including those blasphemies. And I don't want to necessarily defend those, but is that how Holden would talk? Yeah. Are these the kinds of things he would think? Yeah. And was it just like heart-wrenching in a way to be stuck in his head? Yeah. It's a masterpiece of control. I want to say if it went another page, it would be self-indulgent. 
But the fact that it's short, the fact that it is just a little slice of this kid's life, it's just the right amount. And I sort of think people should read it. I think they should read it so that they can have empathy for a loser. And do I acknowledge that Holden Caulfield needs to repent of being Holden Caulfield and all the little Holden Caulfields out there need to repent of being Holden Caulfield? A thousand times, yes. Did I need to repent of being Holden Caulfield? Yes. But if it's one of the jobs of literature to take somebody that you, didn't, you, you, that you don't like, that we don't like, and just make you feel some empathy and remember what it's like to be kind of trapped in yourself, to be that narcissistic, to be that alienated from society, to not be able to enter into anything, but to always stand outside of everything and judge it and to see everyone as phony and ridiculous. I mean, those are painful things to be. And there's thousands of people out there, millions, whatever it is, that experience that. It's a very common human thing. And I can't think of a novel that's captured it better. Was Salinger Uh, above it and beyond it? I don't think he was. And I'm not sure what to do with that. No, he wasn't. Did you guys read that article that I put on Booking? No. I didn't get a chance, no. On Slack? Yeah, just the gist of what happened there is it's this girl remembering Salinger he came to a party because her f- brother and his wife were high up in an editing house that were that had just published some of his stories. So he comes to this party. He was a big thing there in this penthouse. And then eventually he invites them back to his place, just this girl and then her sister and her husband. And they're in his apartment. And then he starts talking about Buddhism and how he doesn't really pick up on vibrations of Buddhist realities or something in the husband, but he does in this his wife. Mm-hmm. And he keeps saying like, you know, you you have it, you have it. And then she starts, oh she breaks down and she starts crying. And then the husband gets up and she whispers to him and they end up having to leave. And Salinger chases them out of the house saying, hey, don't go, don't go. I'm sorry. Don't go, don't go. He ends up chasing them into the road, trying to get them to come back. And then she says that it was years later, she finally found out from her sister what had happened is at the party she went in and Salinger was in one of the bedrooms just laying on all the coats. And he told the sister, the wife of this husband, that he wanted her to run away with him to the place where he ended up becoming a hermit right then and abandon her family and just run away with him. And so, I mean, yeah, that was that was Salinger. He was not above it. Well, I, and I don't want to defend that. I mean, I don't want to, like, okay. And so, Sylvia so Plath so killed herself. So did, can did she I, write a good novel can I about offer depression a, can in the jar? Sure. Can I say yes, did. that there are people who have How written better examples was... of that? And I'm pretty sure that Holden Caulfield is just an amateurish version of, like, Levin or Pierre, someone who is isolated and distant from society, but is not in a story that's really worth. But those are such, uh, you're right. Tolstoy was the thing that I kept thinking and that here is such a complete portrait or even Hamlet. of a human being. Well, Hamlet's the closest maybe in that Hamlet is oh, truly the way, selfishly narcissistic. I showed the students today, Benedict Cumberbatch's Hamlet. Have mm-hmm. you guys seen his? No. No. It's amazing. Is it? He, oh, makes you, he makes you sympathetic with Hamlet. I'll have to. Do, I'll I've to never seen someone make me sympathize with Hamlet, but it made me pretty excited to watch it. Hmm. It's a, his to be or not to be is heartbreaking. Anyways, let me, let, let me play maybe a cheap Bible card here. Go ahead. Solomon wastes his life in a certain ways among give, gives it to different women. He does unwise things. He does wicked things, and then he writes Ecclesiastes, and we're meant to learn from it. Does, so, is Salinger even? Oh, to what degree is he self-aware? I don't know. I don't think we can answer that. I think oftentimes people That's are... That's a question I was asking this whole way, the whole way through this novel. It's like either this is somebody who is so self-aware and beyond this that he's able to paint a perfect picture, or this is somebody who is simply recording his own thoughts. It's like his journal. 
Well, it certainly makes me sadder and makes the book more repulsive if it's the second one. But I don't know that it drains all the value out of it either, because I actually wouldn't say it's like Levin and Pierre. I mean, I would say Holden is much more narcissistic. Holden's much more negative than those those characters are. Well, what Holden does have for him is he has the heartbreak of having lost his brother when he was 10 years old, right? Yeah. And the brother he, who was yeah. 10 years old. And, and all that and stuff that is a, that is is a really good sad. resonant theme throughout the novel. Yep. I'll give you that. I just, what I can't get over with the novel is just the other crassness and nastiness about it. Yeah, it is crass. And I wish it didn't have all the blasphemy. And I'm not trying to defend that. I don't want to defend that. And but so I just... my, my thing with Catcher is I got to the end of it and just saying, you know, did Catcher give me anything new that I didn't have before? Maybe it gave me a picture of some of the disenchanted youth and disenchanted men who I've met mm-hmm. who really like this book a lot. And I think that maybe Catcher in the Right has actually created some of those people. Yeah, it's always the danger with writing about bad guys, I Just guess. like Notes from the Underground has created certain people because, or Nietzsche has Nobody created. Nobody has ever thought that this was a book about a bad guy. He's a hero. He's the hero of the novel. That's what everybody says about I don't know if he's a hero. I think you're supposed to stand above him. I mean, you're not supposed to want Holden to keep being Holden, are you? Or is that the whole question? I don't know. Maybe it's the whole question. Because he ends up, I mean, the book is written from his perspective as he's in a some sort of sanitarium or something. Yeah. In California. Oh, weird, which I guess that's probably what that stupid Gatsby movie was doing, right? Yeah, but I It guess. was mixing its metaphors. Yeah. Well, here's the thing I remember about being a teenager. I remember being completely trapped, entombed, paralyzed inside myself. I remember not being able to get out. I remember everything being about me and it just being so sick. I mean, just like eating your own vomit and yet surviving off of it. And so it's just like the self-perpetuating cycle of horror. And I cannot name a novel that comes anywhere close to capturing that like this novel does. I think it captures it perfectly. And so I just think maybe Salinger was every bit as bad as Holden. Maybe he was worse. And he just accurately recorded what he did. I still think he made a valuable contribution to American letters by recording something that I just can't think of someone else that's actually done it. Yeah, and there's a sort of hatred towards almost everybody that artistic youth especially have. I know that when I was into piano when I was 16, while we go to like symphonies and stuff. And I just hated all the rich people who were there sipping wine at the champagne bars in between at, or in between performances, especially at like this one famous uh, piano competition called the Van Cliburn. They would always be there and they were just there. And I just knew that they had just bought tickets because they could, you know? Right. And so that was definitely holding Caulfield-ish. So he's tapping into something. Sure. Well, I don't know that- if he was above it. I don't think he was above it. Just based on what we know about him. No, I think he probably wasn't. I'm just, I still think he managed to just by accident do something. I guess something. the question that you're begging there is that this was, this is a portrayal that's worth having in literature. If one of the jobs of literature is to help you empathize with people that you wouldn't in real life. I mean, I actually thought this was kind of, so, so I worked. Is that one of the jobs of literature? I think so. I mean, I'm never going to be a uh, 18th century farmer person or whatever, but my Antonia sure does help me live it. And it's, it's cool. I'm never going to be a such and such, but yeah, I actually think one of the jobs of literature is to inculcate empathy. I guess maybe the problem is then where the primary perspective is put, because what was the father who ends up killing himself? Was that her father? I don't yeah. remember. In my Antonia? Oh, in my Antonia. her father, yeah. 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 Ends up killing himself, but he was not the main character, but you could see him being a sort of holding Caulfieldish figure. The fact, I guess the point being the fact that... Let's not write a novel about that guy. Yeah, Holden Caulfield is the main character of Catcher in the Rye as a problem. 
Well, I wish Salinger had written other things. I wish his... He tried and failed, right? Yeah. All, yeah he was never as successful. All he had in him... I mean, I, I, I keep thinking of Beljar. It's, it's Sylvia Plath, very similar. She's this depressed, suicidal woman. She writes a great book about depression, and then she kills herself, and it's really sad. But did she, in fact, create a good record of what it's like to be a depressed young woman? Yeah. I mean, she did it. Salinger may not have meant anything good by this. He may have just been indulging in his own narcissism. He may have just been recording his own thoughts. He still captured something that I think is useful and valuable. And I just can't think of anything else that quite captures what it's like to be Holden Caulfield. There's a ton of Holden Caulfields out there. Do the Now, the big question is, I guess, do the Holden Caulfields of the world need to read Catcher of the Wreck? No. Do they? Yes. Okay. Misuse of something. Makes or even it... worse than that, the people who think that they're Holden Caulfield read it. Yeah. Right? The people with artistic pretensions and all that sort of thing. Yeah, that's my... And that's the other big issue that I've had with this novel is it's not even that... Like, I don't necessarily hate Holden Caulfield. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can think of kids that we know and that we actually love and are dear to us who actually remind remind us of Holden, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. And I'm, I really don't think that those kids would necessarily be drawn to this book. In my experience, those kids, they're going to secretly read the books that the teachers they admire actually love. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think that's what happens with those kids, I think. Maybe a bit like finding Shakespeare in secret, but not wanting anybody to know, right? Yeah. The guys who I've met who actually end up liking Catcher in the Rye, and maybe this is the secret. Maybe I actually like Catcher in the Rye. Maybe I actually like Holden Caulfield. This, my big problem with it is the grossness to it. Mm-hmm. The caveat there also, I think that somebody just happened to do what Catcher in the Rye was trying to do better because he was a better man in the end. Dennis Johnson, but that's a whole other episode. Sure. But anyways, the people who end up liking Catcher in the Rye, they're twisted because they just, they wish that they were holding Caulfield. Right. And that's that's the warp of their character, is that they wish they could be this person, and they're kind of bitter that they can't be this person, and they spend their whole life with this chip on their shoulder that nobody sees them for being holding Caulfield because they aren't holding Caulfield. Yeah, and those people read The Outsider, and they read Dostoevsky, and those people are dumb. And I'm sorry that those people are dumb. I don't know that that means that Catch on the Rye in and of itself as an artifact, as a thing, as a thing that we have to criticize is bad. I mean, ask me, if you want to ask me, would you eradicate Catch on the Rye from the world because it could be misused in a dangerous way? Maybe I'd say yes, but I don't have the power to eradicate it. It does exist. And so I have to actually ask, do I like it? Do I think it's effective? Do I think it does a good job at what it's trying to do? Do I think it's a useful thing in its way? And the answer is basically yes. What, yeah, wait, what is it trying to do? I think it is simply trying to paint a portrait of this guy of uh, let's call him the Bob. Artist as a young man. Let's let's call let's so so we can all think of a teenager. We've actually named one off mic. That reminds us of Holden. We'll call him Fred. Okay. Yep. Now Fred is by turns annoying and sympathetic and kind of sad and all kinds of things and very needy. But I think for a lot of people it's very tempting to write off Fred or did not understand Fred or did not know how to empathize with Fred. I think if people read this book, okay, fine. They'll get into Fred's head I'll and they'll, it, they'll I'll, give, I'll give it fine. I I give it to you. I think for me understanding and empathizing with Fred is so easy and natural. You don't need this book. This book's a waste of life to me. That I agree with and I'm not sure what to tell you. I mean, I actually thought about that about you specifically. I was just I, I actually the thought occurred to me well, Jake doesn't need this book. And I, and neither do I, for that matter. Do I? Maybe more than the two of us. I don't know. Yeah. 
Brandon, you might be the least likely to empathize with Fred. I don't know. But you do. But you do. But I do. And so then the question is, do you really need to get inside Fred's head? And maybe what you guys want to say is no. And Fred's are drawn to me for some reason. Well, yeah, Fred's. We, yeah, I, I actually, listen, Fred's we, are drawn to us. Yeah, I know another Fred. We know another Fred. Yes. Yeah, Fred's are drawn to people like us. Yeah. Right? Why? Because we we understand, we feel their pain. They sense, okay, let's be as self-aggrandizing as we want to be. They sense, uh, they feel like we get it. We are, some, like, we are somehow able to put out the pheromone or the signal to Fred like, hey, I've been there. Been there, done that. We get it. We're not phonies and we're not corny or whatever the Fred would actually say. Yeah. Right? And we got Fred licked. We know him. We got him beat. He ain't fooling us. And we repented of being Fred a long time ago insofar as we were And so we got his number and he knows we got his number. And he may not even know explicitly that we got his number, but intuitively he knows we got his number. Mm -hmm. And so he just wants us to like him. Right. And discipline him and tell him he's going to be okay. Right. That I don't know. I don't know what to say about the Freds. They shouldn't read Catcher in the Rye. No, Fred shouldn't read Catcher in the Rye. Okay, so here's the thing. You're right, Jake. I mean, you've got me. We don't particularly need this book. Fred doesn't need this book. Here's, do you think Fred's dad might benefit from this book? Just to be, just to actually, I mean, the problem with Fred's dad is he might sit in judgment on this book and think, well... Fred's stupid or holding stupid. But I have to imagine there's somebody that could read this book and actually benefit from it and just remember, oh, or just even maybe they were never like that, but they're just like, oh, that's what it's like to be a Fred, to be a Holden. What's your positive? Jake's shaking his head right now. What I think you're saying is that nobody can benefit from Catcher in the Rye. And I think that's a that's a pretty bold claim. I mean, a book that takes a certain universal type, somebody that everybody knows and gets inside their head so well has to have some value doesn't it and just because we don't like this person i mean i cannot think of another novel that can i you... say like the most holden caulfield thing possible yeah, yeah please do if you don't already get it you're not gonna get it that is pretty holden caulfieldish thing to say as old and i don't disagree no i don't disagree and yet can't an artist try and assault that citadel sure i mean if you don't already sure. get if you don't already get anna karenina sure. are you ever gonna get it if you don't sure. already get huck finn sure. are you gonna an get art- it an artist could try to assault that citadel haha <laughs> Oh, cheap shot. <laughs> cheap shot. Come on. Oh, Brandon, you got to clap at that? That was beauty. No one has gotten this far up the castle. No one has climbed this uh, high. No one has come this close. Uh, Hamlet. Okay, maybe Shakespeare. <laughs> Shakespeare and Salinger. Yeah. I mean, keep, you saying, know keep saying nobody stormed that citadel. Nobody's gotten this Hamlet. high. Hamlet. Nobody's. Hamlet. Nobody. Hamlet. Well, in ha- there was, of course, there was Hamlet. Hamlet. Yeah, but. Hamlet. <laughs> I don't think so. Hamlet's not exactly this. I mean, yeah, does it deal with alienation and depression? All sure. Teenage boy who doesn't really know how to deal with his place in the world, confused. I mean, as a former Hamlet has a lot Holden, less language. As someone repenting of being Holden, as somebody that was Holden in a way maybe that you guys weren't, I just want to say this novel really gets it better than anything I can name. And yeah. to me, that maybe I'm just being narcissistic and saying, well, somebody got me. As I was, and I, I, you know, I hope to heck I'm not like that. I don't think I am by God's grace, but anymore. But man, I just want to tell you the alienation that when when he goes, the scene I actually keep is just a random scene when he goes to the piano bar and he runs into that dumb woman and her navy boyfriend or whatever it is. Oh yeah, and he's just the way that Holden processes 
those particular that particular set of phonies and his his disdain and everything, all the little touches, all the little emotions, all the little things he's going through, trying to fit in and being surrounded by these idiots. It ain't pretty. It's not nice. It's not godly. But man, does it capture in precise and perfect detail my entire teenage years. I mean, he just gets it. Yeah. He just really gets it in a way that I cannot name another. That's how you were with all your high school. Yeah. I mean, or especially with adults, I could see what was phony about everybody a mile. I mean, I just see somebody and I could see through everything and see everything that was stupid about them. And it was such a dumb, narcissistic, lame. I mean, I had to repent of it. It was it was evil, right? It was evil. I'm not saying it wasn't, but man. It's also not accurate. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it was accurate. I mean, can I defend this book without defending my yes. character yes <laughs> and can <laughs> i'm not i'm not trying to say holden is anything but a little punk right i'm not trying to say i was anything but a little punk and yet it's painful to be a little punk it's really painful it hurt it's not good you feel trapped and you feel alienated and you feel bad and you feel like you're going crazy you stare at the ceiling and you find little patterns in the ceiling. This is what I did. You find little patterns in the ceiling and you try to make that make them make sense. I mean, you just you want to find some order in your life and you feel, you know, you feel like you're in the matrix and you're plugged in and you don't know how to know how to unplug and you don't need to know how to get out and you don't know what you're here for. And this novel captures that angst like nothing I can name. And so I guess I'm being a little personal here. And so for someone who honestly wants to understand that sort of person. This would be a useful book. That's what I'm arguing. And I don't know. I mean, we can argue these kinds. Would you give a copy of it to Fred's dad? Uh, that's an interesting question. I mean, I want to say maybe Fred's dad, if he's not going to get it. I would get not, it. but that's just because I don't know. I just know Fred's dad wouldn't. Yeah, Fred's dad wouldn't get it. But that's, that's who makes Fred's. Yeah, I know. So I guess it's just pointless to try and achieve anything with art. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's I, the point the bookening has come to today. <laughs> well, why did Shakespeare capture Hamlet, and what makes that better? Shakespeare got inside the head of this narcissistic punk, and we all like uh -oh. that. What makes that different? Just the language is better, the artistry is better. If 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 Salinger had just done a better job at his job, you guys would like it better. What's it lacking? Is it just the bad language that puts us off? I mean, it's, that's that's I mean, legitimate. The that's, and stuff definitely doesn't work in this favor. Is the, it's favor. No, it doesn't. It's it's hard to put up with GD this and GD yeah. that. Yeah, the blasphemy is hard. It's just, and like it or not, that sort of stuff matters. I agree. Not defending it at all. And so, yeah, I mean, it, I no. do think the answer is partly that simple. But I mean, okay, what's the difference between Tolstoy just perfectly taking the greatest snapshot in the world of an adulteress uh, and this novel taking a picture of a stupid kid that sucks a narcissistic dumb maybe hypocritical it will, maybe idiot. part maybe part of it is that tolstoy's perfect snapshot of the, of the adulteress is a perfect warning and salinger's perfect snapshot of this guy this kid holden caulfield the day after the last page of this novel holden caulfield's already a different person it's a it's a it's a snapshot of somebody running 100 miles an hour and so it's not a snapshot of a destination. It's not a, sn a snapshot of where the real Holden Caulfields never stay there. 
No, I agree. And I I think if every book was about that, if every book just took that thing, that as its theme, and, and insofar as Catcher in the Rye has influenced other books to just wallow in that stuff, I'm not happy about it. I well, don't like, think people need to stay there. But the fact that one novelist did it well, one time in a slim little volume, seems to me to be an okay thing. What are what Jake's saying about Destination? I'm not against a book having morality to it. I actually think it's a good thing. And like you said, Tolstoy's has a morality to it that is lacking. With Catcher in the Rye, you do get the sense that he's in the sanitarium. You don't really get the sense that he's getting better. And I think that's what keeps drawing me back to the best parallel I have in my mind is which it would be, I don't know if we can talk about this book or not, Jesus' Son. Mm -hmm. The last paragraph of that book is me among all these weirdos getting better all the time. You know, so he's actually... But that ending feels phony to me. I mean, that just feels like he needed something. So let's let's, let's throw in a little redemption. Unless you know who Dennis Johnson, he actually was a drug addict. Does it it really feel phony? Yeah, Dennis Johnson was a drug addict too. Wait, wait, I want to know if that really feels phony to you or if this is for sake of argument. We can't talk about it. No, but the reason it doesn't feel phony is because he throws in a bunch of rape fantasy, which brings it back down to a level of wallowing and degradation that actually does make sense. Yeah. But it does feel, insofar as it's presented as real spiritual redemption. And I don't think it really, I don't think it's phony redemption, but I don't know that it feels phony. No, it doesn't feel phony. It feels redemptive. But is it? Is it true redemption? Is it spiritually no. nutritious to read that last no, story? I no. would say it's the least nutritious oh, and yeah. perhaps no, the most poisonous story. In the... I think it's actively destructive. W- would I like the novel better without it? Yes. yes. It's an awful Actually, story. I would rather... You're talking about the voyeur story. Yeah, I would, yeah. Ra- I would rather that that volume just be us wallowing in Johnson's particular pain and forget about the ending that tries and ties it all together. Yeah. I'd rather it be the equivalent of what Catcher in the Rye does. Which mm. is just leave him somewhere. Which is just be like, okay, well, that's... That was that. <clears throat> yeah. I'm not Tolstoy. I can't imagine someone better than I am. I can't imagine redemption. I'll leave it to you, reader, to decide. Maybe there is some redemption, but mm-hmm. I ain't going to try and write about it. I buy that point, yeah. Um, so forget the Dennis Johnson stuff then. Yeah, unfortunately, I may not be able to use any of that, which is... Too bad. Too bad. Maybe I'll just maybe I'll just leave this I, part I in. Dear. Maybe it should just be in there. Yeah, I'm just going to read it. So... Uh, Jesus' Son, it's a book. We don't know Dennis if we Johnson recommend it. We sure do yes. talk about it a lot on the booking for something that we don't feel we like talk we can recommend a, we it. We talk around it. I don't know that we've ever actually mentioned it by name before. I think it may have made it into one or two podcasts. We talk about this. Whether you realize it or not, we talk about this yeah. all the time. Yeah. It's one of the. It's a book that is potentially one of the best written novels of the last mm. it's also very, seven or eight years. Very naughty. And that's not, yeah, it's not one that we can recommend. So. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing. Yeah. Unlike Midnight's Children, which apparently we can come back to. Well, maybe we'll I'll say that's bad too. I don't know. Yeah. Bum, 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 bum. There's just a musical transition there, folks, because we just cut out some stuff that was irrelevant. <laughs> we, we got off on a tangent. But the fact is, the irrelevant stuff was actually kind of handy for this conversation. What we started to do is we started to talk about War and Peace and how we were excited to read that. And Brandon's read and I've read some of it and Jake's read none of it. And... Like always. And, and, we, and we started talking, yeah, pretty much par for the course there. But we started talking about it. Brandon's read it 10 times. Yeah, Brandon's read it 10 times. Nathan's read smatterings of read it. Read smatterings of it. And Jake's, Jake's like, never cracked the War and what? <laughs> Is that a real book? <laughs> I thought it was a metaphor. What's reading? <laughs> no, just, just kidding. Um, <laughs> so 
we started talking about that. And I described one of the party scenes in the novel as being, I compared it to something really depressing from our lives. (laughs) And it made Jake really exciting because he just thought, I can enter into this and Tolstoy is going to put me there and he's going to have such insight into this depressing thing. And (laughs) it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. It's going to be vibrant. It's going to be exciting. Now, my question for you gentlemen, this may shed some light on old catcher in the R. What's the difference? Here's a guy that perfectly encapsulates a human experience. There was, and there was nothing. No, I, I, okay. Part where Holden starts dancing, he he gets the guy in the headlock and the guy doesn't like it. Like that's every locker room teenage. Fine, maybe, maybe I expect, what Tolstoy is going to do in War and Peace is he's going to, he's going to elevate me. Mm. He's going to see it better than I do. He's going to bring an insight or a twist. He's going to he's going to put the right amount of color on this that's going to make it feel fresh and insightful and interesting. I'm going to be like, "Yeah, he put words to something that I've experienced a million times." I've experienced before. a million times and have never quite thought of it that way or articulated it that way before. This is just boring. Well, welcome to the 20th century, Bucko Brown. This is what authors do now. They don't, they're don't. they not better than you. They just are perfectly you. Well, <laughs> if you don't like that, you needs, just don't like, who, you just don't like anything that? after the 20th century. I mean, Fine. What? Maybe yeah. I don't. Who needs that? I don't need somebody to hold up a mirror to me for an hour every night for two or three nights. Uh, true or false, though? You are a very self-aware, true. observant person. True. Maybe somebody does need Catcher in the Rye. It ain't you, but... Can you really condemn the book out of hand? Well, it's like it's, it's like the book is too yeah, good well, for a okay, certain crowd of people, and too it's like it's too bad. It's, it's no, it's, it's I not, don't want to. It's, it's like, not interesting th- for if you. If I say that, that's like saying, "Well, I'm better than everybody else in the world that thinks this book is great," and I, I don't think that that's true. I think I'm not trying to trap you. I'm just, I mean, honestly, like here's a book. I think we can all agree. Stop me if I'm wrong. It does a good job of doing what it does, and yet we can't recommend it to everybody, and we want to say it's worthless trash. I'm not sure how to put those two things together. I mean, maybe you guys want to say it doesn't do a good job of doing what it does, but I don't think you want to say that. I think it does, right? I mean, it does a fine job of doing what it does, yeah. It does a superb what, job, what I would What does that even mean? Everything does a good job yeah, of doing what it I'm, does. Yeah, I'm trying to figure this out. No. Ready Player I, I, One, for example, I mean, I'm with Jake, so wanted to be a great it does a good, fantasy adventure, yes, and it, it did a it, crappy job. It's a, It does a good job of being a best-selling candy. Yeah, I would yeah, but it could have been. A, it could have actually been a good novel. That is what it does. But he doesn't want. Okay, but want don't it to be get that. lost in semantics. There is such a thing as a novel setting a goal and either achieving it or coming close or being far away from it. And this novel, whatever its faults, is a superb example of the thing that it's trying to be. I mean, right? But again, what Jake is so with Tolstoy, you get the fun and the insight together. You get some fun with this, and you get no insight. I think, you get, I think you get tons of insight into what this kind of person's like. You get a mirror. I don't know if that's insight. Anna Karenina wasn't holding up a mirror to adulteresses? It was. Hamlet wasn't but holding added, up a mirror to existentialists? It does, but it adds beyond that. And dark Danish princes? The point is that what it adds beyond the mirror. Well, there's our t-shirt. Beyond, hashtag beyond the mirror. Beyond the mirror. That'll be your spinoff podcast. Yep. Yeah. It just seems to me, but if it was another novel, we'd be saying, isn't it great that it holds up a mirror to human nature? And suddenly we find Have we a novel. ever said that before? I know we haven't, but I'm saying the very things that we praise Tolstoy for, that we praise Shakespeare, that we praise all our favorites for, this book does kind of do. Austin, 
And I'm not saying it's on par with our favorite things. It's not. It's certainly more vulgar and more annoying. And it's a darker character study of somebody that isn't likable. And it has limited value. But the, but I want to say that it has some value. It seems to me that you guys are trying to argue that this novel's just trash or that it's... I, mean, I don't... I'm not going to throw this out with the things that I hate. I'm, it's not going out with Ernest Klein. But it comes with lots and lots and lots of warnings. Yeah, I agree. I'm not letting my son read it. I, I wouldn't. I'm not letting my son read it if I'm blessed with one one day. But do I want to make some space for the fact that maybe it's a good thing that this exists or that, you know, maybe it does something of value or at least that I'm not sorry that I've read it personally? Yeah. I mean, we can't be so fast to repent of being Holden Caulfield, which is largely what I think the three of us in this room have all tried to do, that we just want to say like, well, everything that even reminds us of what we were is stupid and lame and lacks value and is garbage. I mean, stop me if that's a straw man of what you guys are arguing. Feels like a straw man, but... I mean, you haven't been able to say anything like... You haven't, you haven't wanted to make any room for this novel to be anything that anyone should read or that has any kind of value. Well, okay. Well, that's part of it is I don't know. I can't think of a single actual person in my life that I would hand this novel to, like in real life, not some hypothetical person, but in real life that I would hand this novel to and say, hey, you could really benefit. All right, right, let's. I'll think of a scenario. Let's say one of your sons is growing up into a Holden for whatever reason. Okay. So I guess you'd have to be a pretty terrible dad, but let's just say it happens because it does happen. Maybe you give Ketra and the right of your wife. Say, hey, you can understand Fred a little bit better this way. Well, this is kind of what Fred's going through. I have thought through that exact scenario. I don't think I do. I don't think that actually that book helps my wife sympathize with Fred. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just... I don't. I don't think that this book would help my wife sympathize with Fred. Would Anna Karenina help your wife sympathize with Anna? Sympathize with Anna? Yeah. Or empathize? I think. I don't know if Anna Karenina really helps me sympathize with Anna too much. Okay, so why read a slog about an adulteress? Because it's not a slog, and it's not just about an adulteress. So if this book was just more entertaining, then you guys would like it better. I if was, was entertained br- fine by it. Actually, I read it. Yeah, and if it was brought, I think that that might be. It's a very. Maybe it's just a very myopic book. It's very narrow. I think it is myopic. I would admit that. But I think the I'd, thing that it does, it does can well. You, can you think of who you would give it to? Would you give it to your dad, your mom? Would you give it to, who would you? Like, um, I wouldn't give it to not, any teenager. Not to, and not to Fred's dad. Well, okay. I'm going to just, I can't answer this generally, but I can't answer it personally. Anybody, anyone, anyone who I wanted to understand not in a general way, but in a very specific way, what it was like for me to be a teenager. I mean, you can read about teenage angst. You can think about what it means to be a teenager all you want. But if you want to just like live inside my head when I was 16, this is the best novel to do it. And I can't think of anything that comes close. So yeah, it captures me. Maybe I just want to make some space for it for that reason. Maybe I'm being narcissistic and holdenish, thinking that my life has some value like maybe it might do someone some good to know what it was like to be me. But yeah, I would give this novel to almost anyone actually who I didn't think was going to be corrupted by it. And I will fully admit there are many people out there that would be corrupted by it. But I think we could all agree there are also many people, including the three in this room, that wouldn't be corrupted by this novel at this point in their life. Sure. And I would give this novel to anyone and say, you want to understand 
what it was like, the alienation, the despair, the messiah complex, the narcissism, the anti-phonyism, all that stuff. You want to just like live, live it and it'll only take you three hours or something like that. You actually don't have to wallow in it all that long because it's a short little novel. Yeah, I would actually be inclined to tell people to read this and mm. to give this to people. It's a very specific type. And insofar as it's useful for people to understand that type, which I think there must be some use to understanding that type. Yeah. I mean, I've sort of made it so you can't attack it too much now because you're like attacking me or something like that. But we always approach these things personally and talk honestly about them on the bookening. And that's the real answer to the question. Yeah. And I think that I'm kind of putting a finger on my issue with the book when that the books that I've loved the most on the bookening have not had this narrow narcissistic sort of outlook on life. That's more a Dostoevsky-ish bent. And that, um, I don't think that's healthy. Yeah. And I don't think it's healthy either. But the thing is, I can read Dostoevsky for about 200 pages and then I give up. We actually tried year one on the booking to read The Idiot. Guess what? I made it about 150, 200 pages and then I gave up and I was just like, this is trash. It's a waste of my time. Goodbye, idiot. Literally. If catch, like I said earlier, if Catcher in the Rye was another page long, I think it would be a wallow, a wallow in filth. The fact that it's so short and so easy to read and so quick, it's just like, here, let me give you a little shot. You'll understand what it was like. Go on your merry way. Well, maybe this is where we're going to end this then. I feel like with a Tolstoy or a Austin that she fits, he fits Holding Caulfield into their story. It makes Holding Caulfield fit into a story that's bigger than Holding Caulfield. Yeah, I think and that's the problem with Catcher in the Rye is that Catcher in the Rye is a narcissistic look at Salinger, a.k.a. Holden Caulfield. Well, and I wish that if, 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 if there's 11 to the Anna, I wish that I, I, I wish that Catcher had 11, had to hold in what? So I think once, I mean, when we get to War and Peace, Anna. you're going to like Andre, Pierre, they're all Holdens to an extent. I mean, Holden is not a rarity. And even Hamlet doesn't just exist in his own little world. He exists in the broader world of what's happening in Denmark with Ophelia and his uncle and his mother and... Shakespeare's got a lot of other subplots with his friends and stuff to show us. and But with Catcher, all we get is that just claustrophobic, narcissistic view of this kid. I yeah. just can't think of who that's healthy for. Well, that's what Nathan is saying is precisely the value of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I, that's why I kind of think we're kind of at the end of this is where we're all going to land. Yeah. And I'm not offended by that, but yeah. I, I just think, I mean... I don't want to be well, I'm um, fiercely offended by your view, Nate. Well, I don't want to be I don't want to hammer you guys over the head or or be unfair with the fact that this book resonates personally, but I just can't help but come to it that way and just say, "Man, there's no book that gets it more." I mean, it really gets it in a way that I can't think of anything else. It's maybe there's no value to that. I mean, honestly, I I was prepared coming into this to have that argued into me, but insofar as there is it does so i don't know any final instead, thoughts instead of getting all your 80s references it gets all your emotional references yeah it does yeah. all right but hey i mean sorry something felt it something felt something that i felt in a way that nothing else did you expect me to not be i mean it's like it and that's actually helpful i think it's like ready player one might be trash but those are my references, man. Catch it's like my life as a teenager was trash. I mean, just to be very clear, in case anyone hasn't got I 
repudiate Holden Caulfield. I have repented of Holden Caulfield. Holden Caulfield, I mean, Jesus died so that Holden Caulfield could be nailed to the cross. I mean, I don't know how to make it any clearer than that. Like, Holden Caulfield burns in hell, and by Christ's blood, I am a new creation, okay? Let's make it very clear. And if there's any Holden Caulfield out there listening, you may not be Holden Caulfield. He's a narcissistic little, you know what, word I can't say that starts with a B and then has four more letters. Nothing good about Holden Caulfield. He's not a hero. And so far as Salinger may or may not have wanted him to be, awful. I ain't arguing otherwise. But this novel gets me, man. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. This novel getted me or got me. This novel gets former me. So, Brandon, would you give the BSOA to Catcher in the Rye? For your sake, Nathan. No. Oh, no. (laughs) Jake, same question. Any final thoughts? No. Nathan, would you? Yeah. Yeah, all right. Hey, this is fun. This is the most real disagreement I think we've ever had. I think so. We rarely come out of a book without coming to some consensus by the end. Yeah, we're not at consensus here. No, this is like episode 130-something or something like that. I think this is the first episode where we've just had a true, like... We're not going to solve this one. We're not going to solve this one. There's no solution. By the way, if somebody's listening and they shouldn't read Catcher in the Rye, please don't read Catcher in the Rye. Probably most of you shouldn't read Catcher in the Rye. I'm still giving it the BSOA. Sorry. Let's do some donor shout outs. Let's do it. All right. We are going to tell a story using these people. So I'll start. One day, Robert and Rhonda got in a rocket ship. As they were flying through outer space, they came upon a glowing flying creature named the immortal Chelsea E who pierced their ship through Whoa! with her photon blasts. Their android co-pilot, Nathan, said, oh no, we've just been hit by that shining glittery creature thing. But Jim and Annie had been killed by the photons. Thankfully, Lily of the Valley provided them with flowers for their funeral. Nice. Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds, were there to shed many tears. Also there for a reason that no one could fathom, the inscrutable Jenny Z. When <laughs> when out of nowhere there appeared a man in the clouds shouting, I am the Keith Master. The captain of the ship, John, and his fair co-pilot, or co-captain, Jill, immediately knew what to do. They rallied the troops for an emergency meeting. The emergency meeting took place on a crowded highway, and everyone was killed when they were collided with by a truck from David's Mighty Men trucking. That truck was a Decepticon that was intercepted by Jay and Katie, who are cold and love cheese, and their beautiful, wonderful daughter, Junia. They took it to the house of Nathan's beloved mother, Beth, who had a secret lair in the elevator shaft in the back of her yard. We're now in the Spider-Verse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Zero Lair was inhabited by Adam, who may or may not be a new donor. I don't remember if we've done Adam. Is Adam the well-bedraggled wizard of yore? I don't know. That's Fletcher. Well, welcome, Adam. I'll give you a name next week, but this week you get to be a part of the story. He was the elevator boy. Elevator Adam was the elevator boy that took you down into my beloved mother Beth's lair. Of course, the elevator in the backyard went up instead of down. Of course it did. And at the top, at the top of the elevator, they discovered E M I L Y Emily and another strange character in the clouds, Fletcher, the woe bedraggled wizard of yore. 
Except for he couldn't be a wizard anymore because his wand had been stolen by the artful Anthony Dodger. Oh, he was very artful. Which was all a plot masterminded by the dark hooded Lord of Death. Oh, of course it was. Jeremy. But there was hope yet because the incandescent Meredith had a plan like she always does. Her plan? To team up with Judo Joanna to kill the bad guys. But then along came Maya! And Rock and Ryan and Judo Judith. And of course, who could forget the comic relief, Danny the Dude. <laughs> DJ. And then along came DJ Sammy G and said, yo, let's make this party lit. And he dropped a track. Nice. Danny Tiberius said, <coughs> said, yo, this party is lit and dropped some beats of their own. After which all the previously mentioned characters were given a royal beat down by... Eric and Catherine, the lovebirds, Kung Fu masters. Who were subsequently destroyed by the mind powers of Professor and Mrs. X. The end. <laughs> that was amazing. Hey, thanks for listening to The Bookening, everyone. If you're a Holden Caulfield fan, or if you don't like literature, either way, you can go to patreon.com forward slash The Bookening. You can support us for more great episodes of... Faulty Binary, Faulty Binary. Faulty Binary, yes, I'm sorry. You know, people can have different opinions. That's what we've learned today. Are we all still friends, fellas? No. No.